Hello, friends. Welcome to the Focus to Evolve podcast, where we uncover modalities, habits, and technologies that enable people, teams, and organizations to break the unhealthy trance of busyness and evolve into a calm, deliberate, and healthy way of accomplishing far more in less time. Hello, fellow evolving humans. We've got another episode of the Focus to Evolve podcast. I am very excited to have Dennis Meralda back on with us today. As you may have heard on previous episodes, he is heading up the Education and Young Adults Division, let's call it. I don't mean to sound all corporate there, but the Focus to Evolve Division. There should be an echo. Do I have an echo effect yet? I need to learn how to do that stuff. Oh, yeah. That, that sounds really good. I like that. Maybe even like walk-up music. You know how like fighters or UFC fighters have like their walk-up music or whatever? I'd like to have like some music when, when you introduce me to it. That'd be pretty cool. Like the ultimate warrior from 1987. My gosh. If I could just like grab those ropes and just shake them like he does, get my hair going. My wife wants me to grow my hair out, so I might be able to do that oh, soon. For, for real. If you grow your hair out, can I have you back on the podcast again? I'm going to interview on building men with long hair. Are you talking long hair like Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars? Are you going that long, like luscious locks? No, no. I wish because I would do a beard and that at the same time. I would become the wolf man. Wow. Um, I, but I got to stay all professional. You know, I, I'm I'm talking to the corporate world. If I walk in there looking like, Fu man chew. I don't right. know what they'll say. If you do decide to go that long, I'll pay for your conditioner for one full year. You know, I, and and the beard, actually, I am growing back out. That's coming back out. I kind of miss it. Yeah. When we met, you had the beard. The first time that we met in person, give a shout out to DiLorenzo's Pizza in Central New Jersey. Best of the best. Uh, you came up and you had, a, you had a beard. I remember all that pizza grease getting in my beard. But I would have asked for extra grease because that's what you do with a pizza like that. That's so good. Yes. Let's add some value to the world today. Let's raise the vibration. As as everybody knows who, who's been listening to the podcast, we, we utilize similar truths of how humans optimize, whether it be through community, through brain-based modalities, taking care of yourself, all these ways that you can multiply your meaningful output to the world. And so I ask you, Dennis, what subject do you want to talk about today on the young adult world and i would love to then overlay it and see if it relates to the adult slash corporate warrior world today i was thinking about the idea of developmental needs that young people have and we got into it a little bit pre-recording about these developmental needs and you mentioned uh, maslow's hierarchy of needs and those needs are the physiological needs the safety needs love and belonging esteem and then self-actualization and so when we're getting into our important work here trying to help parents help kids in school trying to help teachers help kids in school and then ultimately to help kids help themselves in school we have some developmental needs that we want to be cognizant of and conscious of so that's my idea is to is to start there. We want to use it as as the base or the foundation, so to speak, for everything else that we're going to do is understanding what needs do our kids have. So there are five of them that you've identified and you've been uh, you've already coached and trained and taught on these in real life, right? Absolutely. And it started when I first started teaching. Uh, this is going back to 2001, the first episode if you listen to that. Um, I talked about my indoctrination into the world of education. My first, my first year teaching, my third day was 9-11 as in central New Jersey. And I recognized I was developing my own 
pedagogy, my own philosophy on education. A lot of it was, you know, that con- constructivist approach, learn by doing, right? That's how we learn best is by doing things, not just listening to a lecture, but actually rolling up your sleeves and doing things. So for me, a lot of it was trial by fire. I was I was learning on the job and and what to do, what not to do. And I've made a million mistakes. And I think one of the the ways that I connect to people is when I'm doing any kind of workshop with educators is by sharing things that I made mistakes with, sharing things that I have messed up along the way. And so as I'm building this idea of what what we need to do as educators, I was learning by doing. And our our mutual friend, Jordan Montgomery, if he's ever listening, shout out to, to Jordan. Um, I had him on the Building Men podcast and he talks about you might impress people with your successes, but you connect through your struggles. And so this is one of those struggles for me, learning these things along the journey. And so I'll first I'll, I'll say all five of them out. I'll just say them in, in alphabetic order. Um, but when I do believe them, like the, the way that I would, um, that I believe it, I would go in the reverse one, I'll explain in a second. So in alphabetical order, the developmental needs that kids have, one is the need for autonomy, two is competence, three is fun, four is relationship, or relationships, and five is safety. Um, with the reverse being the most important of all of them. Kids need to feel safe in their space. And I learned that right away as a first-year teacher during 9-11. The kids needed to feel safe. So those are the, the five needs that kids have. And when you think about it, like make this practical for any of the evolved humans that are out there, these are needs that we all have, right? The autonomy, competence, fun, relationship, and safety. They're, they're needs that we have as well. But I dialed in on these as like these five things we need to be really, really conscious of with kids in our in our classroom, in our school, or in our homes. Yeah, they, what you just said there—that's definitely we're going to say this a lot on this podcast. But that is a humaning thing, no doubt. Safety. Well, then, if you feel safe, then you can start loving and talking outside of yourself and get out of that survival mode, going on into relationships, build those loving, trusting relationships, and then once that's in place, life gets a little fun. You can have some fun. You got some oxygen in the room, then you can kind of start chipping away at the nice to haves, those skills, especially the meta skills, the brain based meta skills that we talk about and train on. And then uh, that autonomy is almost like a byproduct of the rest of that pyramid. Um, But the culture has to support it. And if the culture is not supporting autonomy, uh, from my point of view, from the, the company cultures I've been involved with, that's that's bad news. It makes the whole thing crumble. So yeah, thanks for that review. Awesome. Five. Got them. One thing that I also speak to educators about is the difference between the learning brain and the survival brain. And for kids to truly learn, we have to be in a learning brain space. And in the future, we will definitely do episodes around how do we deal with traumas with kids? You know, how do we deal with adverse childhood experiences with kids? But what we truly need to do is create community, which is what we talked about in our last episode. And when kids feel safe, they're more likely to be in this learning brain where they can really experiment, experience, go deeper than they thought they were able to go. And so that's where we we start with is this idea of the learning brain versus the survival brain. So in alphabetic order, when I th- when you think about autonomy with kids, they want to feel as though you want to know what they have to say. They want to feel like their voice is important and a part of the space. So practical ways that we can look at at autonomy is giving kids a choice in like how things are being produced, 
giving a choice in how things are, um, like their output. All right, so we have to do this assignment. You can either do this as a presentation, you can do this as a writing assignment, you could do this as a, as a slideshow, you can do this as a, uh, you could record something and then present it to the class. The outcome is that they need to demonstrate to us that they've gained the concepts that we wanted them to gain, but they have some choice in how it's presented, not every single time. And these things that we're talking about today, I'm not saying you have to do these every single day, but over the course of a couple of days, you want to make sure that you're meeting these the kids' needs in all of these areas, right? So the need for autonomy. The other thing I, that I like to do is give kids an opportunity to create a class social contract or constitution. This is something that you could do with your family as well. And the way that I do this, Jason, is I start off in the very beginning of the year with with groups that I'm working with or could be with your own family. Every single, you know, New Year's Day you can do the same exact thing. Come up with a goal that they have for themselves. The goal can be I use it as like a personal goal and a professional or school goal. Two goals. And then what you want to do is what are things that we can put in place that help us reach these goals. So they're like um, norms or or a social contract. And we try to typically keep this very you know, a quick digestible thing. So three to five rules with three to five words per rule. But what it does when you do something like that is it, it sets the stage for success. It gives kids an opportunity to have their voice a part of the space. And then if there's any rule breaking, you can go back and say, listen, you had an opportunity to create this constitution that we're using right now. And they're more likely to follow along with whatever those rules are when they feel like their voice was a part of that space. So that's the first thing is like the idea of autonomy. How can you get your kids' voices a part of what's going on? And I love the way you said uh, that they, they need to feel heard. Uh, that's a little childhood wound of mine that I've tried to surgically remove this need to be understood. There's something about it. When I feel misunderstood in a conversation, I, I get so triggered. I mean, I, I get furious and it's ridiculous, but it's just a, one of the, the limbic attachments I have from my childhood. Don't know really where it came from, but when I don't feel heard, it's big time. I check out and beyond check out, I no longer like you. <laughs> and of course, it's ridiculous, but it's true. And I think a lot of people have that particular childhood program running. It's just an egoic thing of ours and uh, we, we need to keep working on it. And then uh, I'm also reminded of one of the Stephen Covey's quotes where he said, it's an axiom that I've always, always, when I was in corporate world and had people reporting into me, I always remembered this one uh, with, with actually, it doesn't have to be people reporting into you. It can be people around you or your customers or your management, whatever. Um, no involvement, no commitment, period, end of sentence. Um, and this autonomy and the, the, students being heard and being a part of making the plan. If you don't involve them in that, they're not going to be committed. It's just human nature. And so no involvement, no commitment. It's something that I've just kind of sprayed in all directions around me. And I, I always get people involved because I heard Covey talk about that one time. And so that, that plays in very nicely with this autonomy thing. And it's almost a respect thing, really. And who doesn't want to be respected? Right on. And it doesn't have to be every single conf, you know, communication that you're having with your kids or if you're an educator, but it needs to be something that you're cognizant of. If the kids feel as though you, you care, we talked about it in the first time that we had an episode together, like children need to be known. If they feel like you care about what they have to say, not every time you're going to take what they have to say and say, okay, that's what we're going to do. But at least if they feel as though 
their voice is resonating with you, that you're listening to them. It's not just white noise in the room, that you're really giving what they have to say some some value, some credence. They're more likely to go along with that plan. And then, I mean, we could certainly get into rule-breaking behaviors. And when you start to see the rule-breaking behaviors, one of these needs is not getting met appropriately. Double-clicking on what you just said there. I think probably some people that are listening to this as parents or as teachers or educators or even as managers of employees, they're probably saying, hey, okay, that's cool. I get that. Uh, I'm really going to make it appear that I'm listening. Uh, Although in their brains, they're probably saying, I'm really going to listen. I'm really going to go give it a go. But to actually become super curious about what they are saying, why they are saying it, what made them say it. Um, I I remember Greg McEwen, the author of Essentialism. He said something just profound. I'm going to try to remember it. Uh, it. It was something along the lines of, you have to be as interested in what they are interested in as you are in your relationship with them. And there you go. So you have to literally, if they're talking about the hot rod Ferrari or the McLaren F1, and you're not a car person, but you really care about the relationship, you got to do the work, become a car person so that you can deeply relate with what motivates them. doesn't mean you're going to change your life or anything, but you do actually have to genuinely dig into their world and their interests. And, and then they feel you and you feel them. And it's not words. It's something else. And we could, we could definitely get into the nonverbal communication, paraverbal communication with kids, how you're communicating those different things when you're having conversations outside of the words that you're saying. That's definitely a different episode that we can get into. But as you're doing that, as you're investing in those small moments, the kids start to feel as though their voice matters to you, and then they feel more confident in their ability to communicate, right? And what I believe is that the confidence comes from making promises to yourself and keeping those promises. That's one thing that I, when I, when I speak about confidence, but confidence is very closely related to competence and think about anything that you're doing in your life. There's a new, I don't know, pull out anything that you decide to do for the first time. I'm going to go ax throwing, right? I've never gone ax throwing before. So before I do it, there's a level of anxiety that's associated with it. I don't want to like wuss out and miss the target. I don't want to drop the axe. I don't want to throw it over the, like I want to hit the bullseye. So initially I have this level of anxiety before I do anything. Once I throw it for the first time, I'm like, okay, now I see this is where I have to release it out in front of my face. I have to follow through. After you hit it for the first time, you do another rep, another rep, another rep. And now all of a sudden I feel like I could be like William Wallace running in a field with the Scottish army, throwing an ax at somebody. That's how I feel after doing it a couple of times, but it's the reps that builds the confidence that I have. And I feel competent in my ability now. So if you're working with kids, it's scaffolding opportunities for them to build competency. And I use a guy named his, the, the theorist, his name is Lev Vygotsky. And so his theory in education is the zone of proximal development. And what it is, is picture a Venn diagram. And in one big circle is things that are really easy for kids, something that's really, really easy for them. And the other circle is things that are, it's way out of their, their periphery, right, way out of their comfort zone, things that they're not able to accomplish, right? So if, if one thing is I'm standing right in front of, I'll use the axe thing, I'm, I'm standing right in front of the bullseye, I can stand and touch the bullseye with my finger. That's, that's way too easy for a kid. 
all the way on the other end is standing a football field away and trying to throw an axe at a thing at the bullseye. That's not in their they, they're they're unable to do that. The sweet spot is where those things those two meet. It's where things that are too easy and too hard for them meet, and it's that sweet spot. So that's the zone of proximal development. And I like to look at it in this way. Picture there's a ladder. Kids are climbing a ladder, right? And underneath there's like a safety net. So they're not going to fall anywhere, right? But to be able to get to the next rung of the ladder, they have to – it's right beyond their fingertips. So they can't just grab it. They almost have to like, they can touch it with the very tip of their finger, the next rung on the ladder, but they actually have to like jump up to grab it. So there's this level of like living in this uncomfortable space for kids. And even for us as adults, when I use the analogy of the ax throwing thing, where you have to give them that support. I'm here as a safety net for you, but what I want you to do is go a little bit further than you thought you can go, trust it, and then try to reach up and grab the next rung. So that's what I think about with competency is like how can you stretch the kids just beyond what they're, they were previously able to do. And once they grab it there, now they have a new baseline. Now they're on that rung of the ladder and they can start reaching up to the next rung. So that's where I think about in the, in the idea of competency. Yeah, it makes all the sense in the world and it perfectly aligns with one of the meta skills that we teach at Focus to Evolve is all around how to enter flow state. And that exact zone where you're talking about not too comfortable – but not too hard because both of those outside of that little river of the middle is where flow state lives. Uh, well, I'm sorry, outside of it is where flow state cannot live. You're, you're, it's either boring or it's too hard and you quit. We'll be right back after this brief message. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Welcome back to the Focus to Evolve podcast. So let's go on to the the other the next one in the line. So we had autonomy, we had competence, and now fun. Tell me a thing or two about fun and the importance of that in a young adult. So here's the thing, and and us as human beings, we're going to look for opportunities to have a good time, right? We're and kids especially. If you get kids in a classroom, they're going to find opportunities to have fun. It's a, it's a developmental need that they have. So being cognizant of of uh, introducing opportunities for fun, but you be in charge of how that fun happens, right? So if you if you allow for brain breaks in your classroom, if you allow for activities for games in the classroom, when I work with educators, I have like 150 games that I teach to teachers and you could do them really quickly, five-minute games, but those five minutes that, you're, that you are introducing opportunities for fun, for laughter with your kids, you will save tenfold the amount of time in the long run when kids are not looking for those opportunities for themselves. Think about yourself. If you're, if you're in like, a, a, like an hour-long lecture that, that the, someone is droning on and on and on and you're sitting next to your buddy and then you start doodling about something and now you're laughing and you're no longer listening to what the guy is saying that's on stage giving the lecture because you're looking for those opportunities for fun. But if that same lecture is up there and he's cracking a couple jokes or he has you turn and talk to a friend and you have to do this or that or there's other different things that you you can do. Now you're more dialed in, you're more engaged, and those opportunities for fun will present themselves. So it's being cognizant. Kids are going to look for those opportunities for fun, 
be cognizant of providing those opportunities intentionally for them to have a good time. And then the other thing I would I would challenge you to do is if you work with kids, if you're an educator or if you're a parent, like think about close your eyes and see kids in your classroom laughing and smiling. Like remember back to that happening in your classroom. Because if you can't, if you can't think about times in your classroom that kids are smiling and laughing, you're doing something wrong as a teacher. You need to make sure that you are providing opportunities for them to laugh or smile to have fun. It makes all sense in the world. It's almost like a pressure tank where you're going to either you're going to release the valve a little bit to let some of that steam out or it's going to explode and it's going to get ugly because there's going to be shrapnel. Yes. And uh, let's just not ignore that law of the universe. (laughs) I hate to keep hitting on Covey, but I remember another quote by Covey that he said, uh, you can't break the laws of the universe. You can only break yourself against the laws of the universe. And this fun thing, it's I, I, its like we're, we're kind of like, look at us. We're, we're monkeys. We're supposed to be like swinging, having fun. We're monkeys with supercomputers in our heads. Um, we are fun creatures. And the power in fun and the creativity that comes out of fun um, you know, we, we, uh, Tana, one of the other partners here at Focus to Evolve and I did a book chat on a book about the power of fun and how profitable it is for companies. So yeah, if you want to have a big gray room where you stuff your employees and just have them drudge through TPS reports all day, and that's what you call, uh, profitable, you're, you're, that'd be great if they weren't humans actually. Uh, but no humans are fun machines. And as adults in the West, we have long since forgotten uh you know what it's like to allow yourself to be creative have fun go out get into your default mode network it's a brain center where you kind of get to relax your frontal cortex and just kind of let flow and so i appreciate you bringing up fun i'm a, a big proponent of that all right so we got relationships tell me a little bit about relationships before i jump into there the the tps report was that a reference to office space and bill lumberg thank you thank you Oh, perfect. What's happening, Peter? I uh, That's a classic, by the way. I just had, so had to go there. Um, with relationships, one of my philosophies on education is the greatest cognitive growth occurs in social interactions in a supportive community. So when you think about that, I truly believe that for for people to learn like the most um, positive, productive way to get the most out of it, it's social interactions in this supportive community and not all learning. So there's going to be times that they're reading, they're digesting things by themselves, but then the opportunity to take that and converse with another person to create with another person, that's when it truly seeps into who they are, where they can recall it at a later, a later point in their life. Relationships. I, to me, it's one of the reasons why we're here on this planet. I mean, is to just to be involved in relationships with other human beings, to give of ourselves, to learn about other people. Like you had mentioned, a couple of the quotes that you just shared with us, Jason. And when you, as an educator or as a parent, when you give opportunities for your kids to interact with other people, but done so in a way where you are modeling appropriate communications, appropriate um, interactions, and setting the stage for what your expectations are within that community, making sure that those are things that are honored by that group. So whenever possible, instead of kids just doing something by themselves, give them an opportunity to interact with others and value those relationships. It's really, really important to put a strong value 
on positive, productive relationships in your classroom, in your home, in your business environment. This is really hitting home with me uh, this month, particularly one of my, uh, what not one of my, my mantra currently is I, I, a mantra is basically, it can be defined in a thousand ways. So please don't have any word allergies to the word mantra, but uh, I am repeating to myself at wake up and at sleep. And when I wake in the, in the middle of the night, sometimes I just start repeating this um, love mission, purpose, process love, mission, purpose, process. Let the chips fall where they will after that. If I'm doing those four things the way that my highest self knows to do, the rest will take care of itself. I mean, good Lord. Um, and love being first in that for a reason. And one of the underpinnings of love is, well, it's relations. It's relationships. It's one of the pillars. I agree with you. It's one of the reasons I believe we are here um, and, you know, the results that happen, the money that might come in, the A plus that you might get, I understand why that has a sexy draw to it, um, but it's not foundational. It's more consequence of making decisions on how to be deliberate with your life. So you, you get, I like to say how we, we have to invest money to make more money. You also, you also have to invest time to make more time. You invest more love to make more love. It, it all is the same. And relationships are the way you do that. So be kind to people, be true, be honest, and uh, you know, lead with that love thing. So thanks for saying that. That's a super important one, this relationship thing. I hope we can all keep that. If you take one nugget from today, I really hope it's that one. The world needs it. The world needs now is love, sweet love, right? We still, I was going to ask you to sing for me now. So we still have a couple <laughs> minutes. So the next, the last one is safety. And you already touched on the importance yep. of that. So, but one, one final word on safety, because it is, it's a pillar. Without that pillar, the whole building falls. Forget about it. Think about yourself going into any new environment for the first time. You're going into a conference, a workshop, whatever meetup this is. As soon as you walk in, like we already have this heightened state of anxiety going in. Like what, the, what, what is this going to be like? What is the, the, the leader like? The facilitator, the professor, the teacher? Who's going to be in the class? Where, gonna, where am I going to sit? Are we going to have to introduce ourselves? Like there's a million things going on in your head initially. If the need for safety isn't addressed that like monkey that's on your shoulder is going to keep going, right? It's going to it's gonna keep chirping at you the entire time. So whenever possible, address that need for safety first. So you want to help kids, especially in this environment, come in and feel connected and a part of that community. Again, well, that's one of those underlying things that we're going to come back to probably every episode that we talk together is the importance of community. So when kids can feel safe, and we mentioned the learning brain versus the survival brain, it's like it's astronomically um, more beneficial for them in their learning and their in their ability to retain information when they have this feeling of comfort and safety in an environment. So what do you do to, to help them feel that way is, is really be cognizant of who they are as an individual. So you need, children need to be known. I'll hit that every single time as well. So what, before kid even comes into the classroom, what can you know about that kid? What can you know if it's your own children? Like what are the things that you need to know about your child that can help you connect with them on a deeper level? I like to use the, the visualization of an iceberg with kids, right? So with an iceberg, the thing that you, that you see above the waterline are the things that you can use your senses to observe. So you can hear their voice. You can see what they look like. You know, Hopefully you don't smell them too often when they're, when they're near you. 
Um, but you can use your senses to observe these things at the waterline, right? Then, or at, above the waterline. At the waterline are things that you can do a little research on with kids. It could be their their uh, behavior reports from previous teachers. It could be their cumulative file, their grades, uh, standardized test scores, things along those lines. So that's where you have to do a little research. But most of what happens with kids is below the surface. And to get to that space below the surface, and that's why the iceberg is actually able to float in the water, is because of things that are happening below the surface. And those are the kids' strengths, their weaknesses, their hopes, their dreams. Uh, it could be their the, the past traumas that they've experienced, things like that. But you have to invest in kids. You have to get to know them to get to that really meaty stuff that's below the waterline. And that's where your relationships with the kids will flourish. And that's where they'll feel safe when they believe that you are investing in getting to know them on a deeper level. Brilliantly said. I mean, who could ever, ever argue with any of that? Who could ever argue that that doesn't also have to do with every human alive, adult, student or not? Uh, we got that shadow side and we have to eventually own it and respect it, thank it, bless it, release it, or just live with it, but do it consciously. Carl Jung has a beautiful quote where he says the uh, that until the unconscious is made conscious, it will rule your life and you will call it fate. And that that under part of the water of the glacier is that part. It's a big part of that, I should say. And it's all of our history and past. So, yes, the safety thing, man, that's so important. So uh, I would also say I'm reminded, too, I mean, being a parent of a 17-year-old, one of our other partners here at Folks to Evolve down in Atlanta, Mo Davis, she told me this beautiful mechanism of interfacing a teenager. She calls it the ABC effect. And she says, so when your son or daughter or any teenager comes to you, they probably are not looking for advice. 99% of the time, they're not. And when they say something, they're just looking for presence. They're looking for compassion. You wouldn't say that to them, God forbid. Um, but you basically either say A, awesome, or B, bummer, or C, cool. That's it. If, if you think it's time to give advice right off the bat, you are more, you are probably just dead wrong statistically. So if you're wondering how to make them feel safe and heard and that they have a partner in this battle, and not just some freaking coach that won't keep their damn mouth shut. Uh, just do the ABC technique. What do you think of that? I like that a lot. I haven't heard of it said in that way. And one thing that I love to tell teachers about is getting off the soapbox when you're with kids. So you want to be a guide on the side rather than the sage on the stage. I think that's an important part of, of educators. But one thing that I really would recommend that you do when your kid is telling you about something, instead of just flat praising your kid, I always tell educators, start asking questions. Instead of just being like, great job, that was that was great, way to go, so great. What was your favorite part about what you just did right there? What's the next thing that you're gonna learn? Why was that so challenging? If you were if you were to have a million dollars right now and you have this idea in front of you, what's the first thing you're going to do? Because if a kid is excited about something, instead of just getting the stamp of, of validation or, or praise or approval, if you are like, I'm really interested, we talked before about you know your level of investment, interest, and commitment to another person. If you start asking a question, a follow-up question, that will do wonders in your relationship with the kid, but it'll also turn the learning back on them. It doesn't just end with the grade, with the communication. It, it, it forces them to go deeper. So I'll always tell educators, 
ever like once a week ask a deep question of a kid after they tell you something one layer deeper it will change everything and if you just i mean if I, as i'm sitting here and i think when was the last time i really did do that it's pretty rare because i want to just fix them i want to fix it i want to give them the advice that i learned yep. and that you cannot rip open a rose early that's not how the cosmos works it's a young bud it has to do it on its time god's got a plan and uh, you just go in there and rip that flower open. You're going to, you're damned to do a damage. There's no such thing. It has to do its journey. So this is just such great advice. Love that sage on the stage thing. That was beautiful. I'm going to steal that. So, uh, hey, Dennis, man, we went, we went kind of long on this one. I'm glad we did though, because that was some really good advice. Uh, any f- closing thoughts before we uh, head out today? So if you're experiencing pushback from your kid in a, a certain area that they're, you're like, what, what's going on with them? I, this isn't the kid that I know. Something's going on. My guess is that one of those developmental needs is not being addressed in an appropriate way. So autonomy, competence, fun, relationship, safety. There's one of those areas in their life that they're walking over a rickety bridge and they're unsure of like where they're, their footing or they're they're really not confident in in one of those areas. Likely if that's a you know middle or high school age kid, they're not going to say, Mom, Dad, I'm really struggling because I don't feel like my voice is a part of the space. I don't feel like I'm autonomous in my life right now. What they're gonna do is be a little a-hole. You know, they're gonna push back, they're gonna slam the door, they're gonna yell, they're gonna scream, they're gonna cut class, whatever it is. If there's something that's off with your kid, it's likely that one of those needs isn't being met. It's your job as the parent, as the educator, to start peeling back the layers, start looking at the lower level under the waterline of the iceberg to figure out where is the the hole, where are we where are we missing, and what can I do to help bridge that gap? Well, Dennis, you're a real king, man. I appreciate you sharing your wisdom from all your experience. You got great battle scars, and the world's learning from you as a result of it. So thank you so much, and we'll see you next round. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to our producing director, Bridget Coyne, and audio engineer, Ian Douglas. I'm your host, Jason Henkel, thanking you for tuning in today and inviting you to like and subscribe to this podcast. Also, if you think this may help others in your personal or professional network, please share today's episode. Until next time, I wish you a calm, deliberate, and authentic week ahead. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.